Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about today. Yeah. Uh, me too. Uh, this, yeah. So this uh, this was an impromptu uh, change. We had like a whole plan. A whole yes. just went out the window. Actually, just which, got pushed for a couple. Yeah, <laughs> which just got pushed. <laughs> uh, but before we get into that, my name is Amelia Ampuero. I'm Scotty Milder. This is the Weirdest Thing Podcast. And we're really excited to talk to you guys today. Like Scotty was mentioning, we have stories that we yeah. are going to tell uh, at a later date. They have not been completely pushed aside. Uh, they're just being pushed till later because we saw a cocaine bear this week <laughs> and we really wanted to talk about it, but we're not yeah. just going to talk about just cocaine bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to do a little double feature uh, examination between cocaine bear and the menu and what we think sort of ties them together and what doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and particularly like we're kind of just talking about kind of tackling the whole idea of like horror comedies. Mm-hmm. And like to me, like Cocaine Bear and the Menu are like that is the spectrum of horror comedy, right there. Right, right, um, yeah, yeah. And that's why I was like, let's you know these two vastly different movies that are quote unquote under the same umbrella, mm-hmm. genre wise. Um, right. Yeah, and let's let's sort of figure out where they meet and overlap and where they do <laughs> not. I think the yeah. Venn diagram of Cocaine Bear and the Menu is probably a small sliver. Yeah. Um, but I'm interested just, to see what's in that sliver. Right. I just rewatched the menu today and it's, Same. yeah, they're, they're super different movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did, uh, because this is the weirdest thing and I can't not be an internet nerd. Um, okay. I did do a little <laughs> bit of like reading on the history of horror comedy. If you're interested. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Let's dip into that quickly. Yeah. So basically like horror and comedy have kind of existed side by side since they were both a thing Mm -hmm. and i think the reason why they kind of go together like there's i talked about this a little bit actually with danielle i think back over the summer but you know they kind of work in like some interestingly similar ways like they both depend on surprise and and shock not necessarily like shock value but just like the unexpected right Um, unexpected they also are very much like a visceral reaction like you can't talk yourself into being scared or not being scared of something when you kind of can't mm-hmm. talk yourself into finding something funny that you don't find funny. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very individual. It hits you at this, like, gut level. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, like I said, they, like, kind of as soon as horror movies were a thing, they started making them funny. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, we talked last week, I talked about Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. um, Lon Chaney's Phantom of the Opera, which is super not a horror comedy. Okay. Uh, but the very same year, 1925, Lon Chaney was in another movie called The Monster, which several websites I looked at kind of pointed to, I've never seen it, but pointed to as, like, maybe the first horror comedy, or at least it was the first horror movie that had, like, a comic side character. Interesting. And then even a movie, like, people don't necessarily think of this, but, like, uh, The Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people kind of point to it as a horror comedy in its way. Like it's, I think a lot of the humor in that movie doesn't necessarily land today. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you know kind of the background of it, particularly James Whale, the director, who, as I mentioned, like if you want to know more about him, watch the movie Gods and Monsters. Um, mm-hmm. He was gay and by the time, you know, when he did Frankenstein, the first movie, he was kind of a director for hire. But it was such a huge hit that by the time he did the second movie, he kind of had a lot more creative freedom. So he was able to work in a lot of elements of camp that mm. like, and again, like it's not obvious because I think a lot of the humor is sort of lost in translation over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like certain things like character relationships and there's definitely like a heightened quality to that movie in comparison to the first one. And then like once you get into like the 40s, you get into the Abbott and Costello movies, you have a Laurel and Hardy movie from 1930 called A Laurel hardy murder case um and then they did another one called a haunting we will go in 1942 the three stooges did a horror comedy uh 1943 spooks dean martin and jerry lewis bob hope like there's a whole bunch of famous comedians all kind of dipped their toes and then of course you get like the monsters the adams family all that Mm -hmm. uh, in the 60s so it's just it's just been a thing that's just been like part of the genre from the very beginning Mm -hmm. so yeah, so like, I don't want to spend a whole lot more time on that, but that's just okay. kind of like, in a nutshell, like the background. Awesome. Okay, very cool. And it's interesting that you mentioned camp, because I think we will definitely come back yeah. to one of those, or come back to that with at least one of the films. Actually, I um, would say both, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Anyway, okay, yeah. so we're also going to say massive, massive, yes. massive spoilers for both of these movies. If you have not seen them, don't listen to this episode unless you like to be spoiled like I sometimes do. Um, yeah. <laughs> frequently, like I frequently like, do. <laughs> like going to Wikipedia and reading the, yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, spoilers abound know that and be joyful and let's start let's start with a quick synopsis of both of the movies since we're not talking about like one and then the other but we're kind of talking about them Mm -hmm. uh sort of side by side let's start with the menu since that came first chronologically yeah so the menu it came out what like into last year was it early i believe so no i think it came out in like october november Okay. Of last yeah. year. So it's satire. I guess you would say like social satire horror movie. I guess so. I've also well, seen black, satire. Hor- black comedy horror. Definitely got a lot of elements of black comedy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the basic plot line, it starts with a woman named Margot, played by mm-hmm. Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. And she's on a date with a guy named Tyler, played by uh, Nicholas Holt, right? Yes. And he's taking her to a super swanky restaurant on a private island. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's like supposed to be off the coast of California, but it's never quite made clear. And... Uh, Mm. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I don't know if I'm no if I know this because I don't know. I don't know where it is. I don't know that it's off of the coast of California. Okay. I know that it was filmed, I think, off the coast of Georgia, but mm-hmm. that is not, I don't think, necessarily where it is supposed to be set. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think I was just assuming because of the the mix of characters seemed very Californian to me. <laughs> I but maybe I I actually I actually think it's supposed to be set off the coast of Washington. Based on be. the move based on the restaurant that the restaurant is based on i think it's actually oh that that would make washington sense. state mm-hmm. yeah and we'll we'll come back around to that we'll come back that's to kind that. of an interesting background but mm-hmm. um so you know they're on this date the movie does a very good job of kind of setting it up where you think they're a couple but maybe like a couple who's like a new couple 
Yeah. Um, he's very into this restaurant. She's kind of less so. Yeah, he um, famously is like I've, he's, and he famously sets himself up as a foodie that he's watched every yeah. episode of Chef's Table, right? Uh, tw- you know, two or three times. I think that's uh, he, one of the great jokes. Is like that's what qualifies as a foodie is like you've watched Chef's Table. <laughs> yeah, uh, he also yeah. scolds her for smoking and tells mm-hmm. her to put out her cigarette because it will kill her palate. Yeah, we'll get yeah. we'll get more into. I have a lot of feelings, but we'll get more oh, into yeah. that in a sec. So she's not super into it. It's a very exclusive set of diners. Like you have a food critic and her editor. You have a famous actor played by John Leguizamo. And I think his assistant. Yeah, his Um, personal assistant. You have some tech bros. You have a finance bros. Finance bros. That's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have like an elderly couple that's clearly very wealthy. Yep. Um, that he he mentions something about a helicopter at one point. So it's like they're that type of people. Like he can just call a helicopter. And this is clearly not their first rodeo at this particular restaurant. The yeah. And I'm trying. I think there might be others. Those are the main ones. But like, I think that's it. Hold on. Yeah, they do say there's only twelve customers. Yeah, so it's the couple, the finance bros, John Leguizamo and his assistant Margot and Tyler, food writer. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, again, super exclusive set. And then they get to the restaurant. They're totally isolated. And the chef, played by Ray Fiennes, starts kind of presenting each course of the meal. Mm-hmm. And as things go, to say things go very, very sideways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is that a good just like setup for the? Yeah, I think that that's a good I think that's a good setup. Cocaine Bear released like right now, like it was released last (laughs) week, the week before. A couple weeks ago, I think. Is um, (laughs) directed by Elizabeth Banks and is based on a true story. Uh, so to Ish. give you the uh, to give you the quick true story of Cocaine Bear on September 11th, 1985, Andrew Carter Thornton II, who was a cop turned lawyer turned American narcotics officer turned drug smuggler, was found dead in the driveway of a guy named Bob. Um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> in, uh, um, uh, near. Let me let me make sure this is. Uh, uh, correct. Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, he had uh, somewhere between 75 and 80 pounds of cocaine strapped to his body. He was wearing a bulletproof vest and night vision goggles. And it was determined that he had died because he had jumped from a plane and his parachute had not opened. Mm-hmm. All of this to say what happened was that Thornton and a partner, the partner apparently was very sort of like, I didn't know we were smuggling drugs. Like I <laughs> thought we were just doing a thing. Sure. Um, (laughs) picked up $15 million worth of cocaine. This was back in 1985. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, hold on. He, the cocaine that was found on him was valued at $15 million. There was a lot more than that. There was a lot, a lot of, uh, cocaine on this plane. They were smuggling a, a Cessna full of cocaine. They started dumping the cocaine. The reason for that is not quite clear whether that was always mm. supposed to be the plan or whether they were dumping it because the plane was starting to fail due to weight. Yeah, um, I read that, but who knows? Yeah. So they started dumping that cocaine near Blairsville, Georgia, and Thornton parachute didn't open. I don't know what happened to the other guy. I think he also parachuted, and I think maybe he's revived. The plane crashed, and again, Thornton was found with 75 pounds of cocaine, 
$4,500 in cash, six cougarans, some <laughs> knives, and two pistols. <laughs> Aside from Thornton, the only other casualty in this was a black bear um, who had basically found the cocaine torn into a bunch of the packages and overdosed from cocaine. I Mm -hmm. think I saw something that said that the bear, they said that the bear was so full of cocaine, like the bear's stomach was so full of cocaine that there wasn't any room left in the stomach. Mm Mm-hmm. So this bear just went ham on the cocaine. So that's the true story. There's a whole lot of other stuff that includes a story about Waylon Jennings and all this Mm -hmm. stuff and where the cocaine bear is now. An interesting story in in its own right. But yes, a couple of podcasts have covered it. So you can Mm -hmm. go and look up the true story of cocaine bear. Uh, There's that. So that's the true story. This movie. (laughs) (laughs) opens with uh, Thornton jumping out of the plane, dumping the cocaine all over, uh, what is it? Chattahoochee National Forest. Right. And he actually, he actually knocks himself out. And so he's unconscious. Like he slips and bangs his head. So he's unconscious and can't pull open the uh, parachute. So that is the first of many, many, many liberties that Cocaine Bear takes. Essentially what happens is the story is essentially the black bear finds the cocaine, eats the cocaine, becomes an absolute cokehead and goes on a murderous (laughs) rampage that spans, uh, you know, this national forest and like several random groupings of people. We've got some cops, we've got some like DEA people, we've got some drug smugglers, we've got Mm -hmm. uh, a mom and some kids, we've got some rangers um we've got a a gang of youths yeah Um, very 80s youths yes uh because it does take place in 1985 we've got an ambulance paramedic team it's just it spans all over the place and like i said the bear basically goes on a murderous rampage (laughs) and and wreaks havoc on chattahoochee national forest yeah and you were asking me as we left you were like are there any other movies that are like kind of comparable to Cocaine Bear? Yeah. And I was trying to think of like like the one I mentioned was uh the movie Lake Placid from the mm-hmm. I think it was 98. It's a giant crocodile movie. And it's very similarly like comedic take on it with like a very clever script and kind of an A-list cast. Did not do particularly well. And I don't think like it's a pretty funny movie, but it's nowhere near as it just doesn't lean into the absurdity enough the way Cocaine Bear really does. Um, yeah. Cocaine Bear, and I think going back, you know, kind of touched on that thing before, but, and again, I think that's what's so funny to, that's why it's so funny to look at Cocaine Bear and the menu in the same breath. Mm -hmm. Um, Cocaine Bear is so camp. If you were listening to this and you haven't gone to see the movie and you've decided to just be spoiled, know that there is a good amount of gore. It is a gory gory. movie. And interesting because it's like, it's so weird because I was like, tense in watching the movie because I knew that it was after I think the first bit of gore Mm -hmm. I was like oh this is gonna okay this is the movie that we're dealing with yeah and so I was squeamish but I don't know that I was scared whereas in the Mm -hmm. menu it was just I felt like a thread that was fraying in the middle right right yeah it's very different um and I and I'll talk about it in a second I had a very interesting experience with the menu today that was different than my first one but the other like after after we talked about I was thinking about like what other movies would you kind of right 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 
and the two, the other two that like really jumped to mind were uh, is actually the movie Tremors from 1990. I was gonna ask you about Tremors, but this is the thing that I was like, I'm gonna mm-hmm. let's save it till the podcast because is Tremors supposed to be as funny as it is? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Everybody's Tremors, in on the joke. Yeah, everyone was in on the joke. Yeah, Tre- okay. Tremors was famously like again a horror comedy. Okay, and that was a thing. Like in the in that time period, there were a lot of horror comedy takes on the creature feature. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had like a really terrible low budget movie called Carnosaur that was like it's don't I mean you don't need to bother with it. But, God, I've never even heard of it. Okay, um, but you also have movies like Arachnophobia, things okay. like that. And I would say like Tremor. I mean, Arachnophobia is definitely like Tremors is not particularly rooted in reality. It's you know it's graboids. It's not spiders, right? Or, or whatever. Uh, the other movie I think that this probably is the most got in common with is actually uh, 2006 Snakes on a Plane. Um, okay. And the reason why I say that is because it's not it's not just the movie, is that there's the symbiosis in pop culture between like the movie itself and the internet phenomenon that's really kind of based around the title. Interesting. Because like there's a thing about Cocaine Bear that it's just like people are just like they made a movie called Cocaine Bear. <laughs> you know, and I think Snakes on a Plane had a similar thing. And then yes. Snakes on a Plane, like famously actually reshot a bunch of stuff once it became this internet phenomenon because people started saying things like, oh man, Sam Jackson better say, you know, I'm sick of these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. And they went and reshot it to get the line in to like please the fans. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So it was very much like internet fan culture kind of thing. I think Cocaine Bear has a little bit of that same, like a fair amount of the hype around it isn't even about the movie. It's just about the fact that it's called Cocaine Bear. I think you know. I'd seen somewhere that like Cocaine Bear was a working title, but then everybody was like, no, but wait, what else do we call it? Like, well, and that was the same can't thing. have another. <laughs> right. Well, and that was the same thing with Snakes on a Plane. They changed it to something like, I don't remember what the other title was, but it was something like, you know, Terror in the Skies or whatever. Right. And Sam Jackson was like, no, I signed on to this movie because the snake, <laughs> the script that arrived in my inbox was called Snakes on a Plane. And I was like, sold. So I'm not going to do the movie if it's not Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> <laughs> Um, amazing yeah Yeah. amazing yeah it is it i i had seen somewhere that little shop of horrors is considered a uh horror comedy comedy horror i don't know what Mm -hmm. the but it's so interesting i think because little shop of horrors i think sits so firmly in its place as a musical Mm -hmm. i think that people forget that there's well and it's a, a pretty grotesque story yeah i mean it's based on a an actual roger corman horror movie from the 50s so Mm. starring a young jack nicholson actually that's right as the dentist right i think so yeah 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 and it's funny because the original little shop of horrors is like it's a roger corman movie so so it's funny because it's like low budget and not very Mm -hmm. good (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then they were they Someone had the genius idea of being like, let's take this goofy B-movie, drive-in movie from the 50s, and turn it into this big Broadway musical and Hollywood movie and stuff. Um, yeah. No, but that's absolutely one of the like primary horror comedies of the 80s. Probably. Yeah. Um. So, okay. So I had heard about Cocaine Bear due to another podcast covering mm-hmm. this story years ago. And then they announced that they were making the movie and that it was going to be directed by Elizabeth Banks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what the movie is. What's this going to be? Yeah. 
Right. Especially because it is focusing. So like I, you could, and I think there has been a movie made about Andrew Thornton, mm-hmm. you know, again, cop turned lawyer, turned drug agent, turned drug smuggler. Right. Like, yeah, fantastic. That's a movie in and of itself. Right. Uh, but it was weird that they were focusing on the actual cocaine bear. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, okay, yeah. And then I think you and I had talked about like, oh, we should go see it. And mm. then I started looking into it and I was like, Hold up, though, because this cast is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, the movie stars Carrie Russell. Carrie, I'm sorry. I was trying to say two names at once. Carrie <laughs> Russell, O'Shea Jackson, Alden Ehrenreich. Is that how you say his I name? Think, I think so. Isaiah Whitlock, Margot Martindale. And uh, it is actually Ray Liotta's last movie. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. to a real one. Uh, yep. Ray Liotta. And I was like, okay, what is well, this movie <laughs> that has well, this like- one- incredible cast oh and matthew reese uh who quickly plays uh andrew yeah. thornton in the very and he beginning. is carrie russell's actual husband right yes yeah so they I met think, during the americans and yeah so i'm sure that was just him being like i want to be in it too yeah know? doing a solid <laughs> i was like oh, um, i'm gonna do that well one thing i think is important is, to point out is that it's written by uh phil lord and chris miller who obviously did the lego movie the 21 jump street films um so it's like wait these aren't i'm wait say that again so the movie is written by phil lord and christopher miller i'm seeing jimmy warden as oh the, no as no the i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry 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 we're not written by produced by so. okay i was like um is everything yeah. wrong? <laughs> no, 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 you're right. No, produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who are like, I mean, they're no slouches in like the the comedy realm, you know? Yeah. So, like, so you um, said the Lego movies, what else? The, the Lego movie, they started with like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They did the Lego movie. They did 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street. Okay. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, Great movie. Great movie. Uh, they did the <laughs> TV show Last Man on Earth, which is super funny. Okay. I have not seen that, but can I, I, we, we're not going to take a bunch of time on this, but can I just give a small shout out to the 21 Jump Street movies because They're they great. are so fucking good. They are so stupid and so good. Mm-hmm. And so like completely aware of what they are. Both of them were such well, a and stupid I think, good time. <laughs> I mean, and to me, like the operative word there is stupid. Because, yeah. like, that's what they do really well is they lean, they're not afraid to lean into the stupid because, like, you get that with the Lego movie, too. Oh um, my gosh. And definitely with Cocaine Bear. It's like they will take the most just absurd concept mm-hmm. and just run with it. And, like, the only way a movie like Cocaine Bear works is 110% commitment. Yeah. Like, you cannot condescend to the material at all. That's, like, I think somewhat the downfall to, like, a movie like Lake Placid is, like, you can kind of feel the actors sort of felt like they were slumming. Yeah, that was one of the things that we briefly allowed ourselves to talk about after Cocaine Mm -hmm. Bear was there is this, okay, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to qualify it. Everybody in this movie is taking the movie extraordinarily seriously. Mm -hmm. Nobody looks like they are not dealing with the circumstances of Mm -hmm. being chased by a bear that is, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Coked to the gills. Uh, Yeah. Coked to the gills. (laughs) And yet nobody is trying to like, 
everybody accepts and understands the madness of being chased by a bear who is coked mm-hmm. to the gills, which I think is a fine line, right? To sit there and to be like, I am taking this deadly seriously and allowing these ridiculous circumstances to be the circumstances mm-hmm. that I am navigating within this right. world, as opposed to trying to turn this into like some type of Shakespearean tragedy or like, you know, no, nobody's trying to act like they're in The Shining. Like everybody is, everybody is firmly aware. And the amount of time that people are like, what? (laughs) Like every, everybody's trying to figure out how they got to where they are. Right. Um, right. Which I think is exactly what that movie needed. I think the cast, and we'll talk about this with the menu too. The -hmm. cast is just like note perfect all the way through because they're 100% committed. They're not winking at the material. Like, like you're saying, but mm-hmm. they're also are allowing themselves to be funny. Yeah. Like to me, the, like, uh, we talked about him, but like one of my favorite performances in the movie was, uh, O'Shea Jackson because mm-hmm. he is so, and it's what he was so good. If you've seen him in Ingrid goes West, he's got uh-huh. kind of a similar vibe of like, he's like naturally funny in a very laid back way and never pushes the joke. He right. just kind of lets the joke happen you know and and i think that's the thing in this is that nobody is trying to be funny mm-hmm. and every again everybody is allowing the, one, the script to do that work the and then everybody maybe, is like we're really being chased by a bear that's coat to the gills right the only one who's maybe a little bit sort of leaning a little more into like a humorous performance mm-hmm. is and i i don't I don't have it in front of me, the so I don't know the actor's name. But the guy who plays like the one of the youths that they take, like that the two drug guys take out to look for the to look for the cocaine. Like he's he's clearly like he's kind of like playing it up a little bit. But even I, then, like he never goes too far. He never like takes it to a point where you don't buy him. I okay, so I'm gonna disagree with that respectfully. <laughs> because let's see who are we talking about is it that one i think yes we are talking about aaron holiday who plays kid parenthetically stash (laughs) and i say that because i know granted i don't know if people like this character i don't know what they were like in the 80s but i know people like that now and again everything is a little bit of camp like mm-hmm. even in like these kind of situations, if That's I true. had if I had to say that there was somebody who was giving it just a touch more of a of like a wink wink nudge nudge, I would say it's Jesse Tyler Ferguson's character. That was the yeah. one to me that seemed a little bit like who he he's the he's like the the nature expert guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about who some of these characters are. So yeah, let's um, go through this. Let's go through this. Um, okay, so. You have- so- Ray Liotta, he's he's like the drug boss who wants the cocaine back. Yes, Sid. Mm-hmm. Sid. You mm-hmm. have uh Alden Ehrenreich is his son. I'm again, I don't have the character name in front of me. I'll get I'll get you with character names. Alden Ehrenreich plays Eddie, Eddie Sid's son, who is like, out of the business. He's out of the business, but has been reluctantly drafted to go look for the cocaine yes. with his friend O'Shea Jackson. David. David, who still works for Sid. Mm-hmm. Then, meanwhile, you have Carrie Russell, who's... Sorry? Um, Sari? Sari? It's S-A-R-I. Okay. I think that's sorry. I mean, I, I would say it's sorry, but God, I don't know if they ever said her name. 
Yeah, actually, that's a good point. She was just mom because she's, she's a mom. She's, she's a mom. her her daughter uh, and her daughter's little friend. They're like thirteen year old. They ran off into they mm-hmm. skipped school for the day. They ran off into the woods. Um, and now they're and and so she has to go rescue them from cocaine. Yes, uh, the little kids are uh, Brooklyn Price. I'm sorry, Brooklyn Prince, who plays Dee Dee, Carrie Russell's daughter, mm-hmm. uh, and Christian Convery, who plays Henry, Dee Dee's friend, who is he's just a trend. Pressure. Fucking great. <laughs> like he is fantastic. In the movie. He's he's really great. They're both yeah. uh they're both kids, like fully mm-hmm. kids. And they do they do a great job, both of them in this movie. But yes, Christian Convery is chef's kiss. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No notes. <laughs> and then you also you have Margaret Mondale is uh uh-huh. is Ranger the whole, Liz, the very thirsty park ranger who who has got a thing for and I'm forgetting the actor's name and the character's name. Uh, who, yeah, Margot Martindale, Ranger Liz is hot and heavy for Peter, played by Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Right, 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 right. Who's like the nature expert guy who knows mm-hmm. about wildlife and whatnot. He's like a conservationist or something. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. So they go off with Carrie Russell, sorry, to like look for the kids. Yes. Um, and then you have a group of delinquents, I guess uh-huh. you would say. Yeah, you have a you have a gang of youths uh um, who are played by Aaron Holiday, who I mentioned as kid uh slash stash, JB Moore, who plays Vest. and leo hannah who plays ponytail right and so they try to mug o'shea jackson when they first get there to look for the drugs Mm o'shea jackson kicks the shit out of them and then they take stash to look for the drugs because they find out stash knows where the drugs are Yes. Um, you also have isaiah whitlock jr uh as Mm -hmm. the cop who Mm -hmm. fans of the wire by the way, we'll know mm-hmm. him as Senator Clay Davis. Yes, there's whole supercuts on the internet around him saying a particular yep. word. Go and look it up. Yes, so he plays right. Bob. <laughs> He's out there trying to like get the cocaine before the cocaine people get to the cocaine. <laughs> yes. You also have a couple uh, ambulance people who get called in once the bear uh-huh. starts uh, its rampage. Uh-huh, and that is uh, Kayun Kim. I hope I'm saying that name correctly, who plays Beth and Scott Sice, uh, who plays Tom. If you have seen any of the TikToks uh, mm-hmm. of a gentleman with a mustache complaining about working at an IKEA, that is the actor who plays Tom. Yeah, uh, in his film debut. Good I know we we were both very happy to see him. It's like yeah. oh, good for him. <laughs> good for him to be in this movie is your first movie. Good for him. Right, good and and that's kind of everybody, isn't it? Yeah, we also oh, have no, I- we have one other cop we have Ayula smart playing officer reba mm-hmm. um we also have let's not leave them out we have christopher hiveju hiveju who plays olaf oh uh, yes. these are our, our uh there are icelandic tourists at the beginning yeah, <laughs> yes and hannah hoekstra who plays elsa That's um right. yeah they are our icelandic and you all uh, recognize him from Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, as I'm again forgetting the, I don't know why I'm forgetting the character name, but it's the the big fucking redheaded northern guy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway. And then, like we mentioned, we, like we like, good grief, I'm too excited. Like I mentioned, it's because I love him so much. Matthew Rees in a very brief cameo as yeah. Andrew Thornton. Right, right, right. So the, there's there's your cast of characters. Um, mm-hmm. We don't need to get into all the plot of like how everything crosses over they all converge on the woods and there happens to be a bear who's hopped up on cocaine who just starts eating everybody that it can 
<laughs> I think and, like one of the funniest things to me about this is how this bear again coked to the gills and and has you know in the short time you know the plane drops and then it feels like the next day they're out there looking for the cocaine it doesn't seem like a ton amount of a, right. a ton of amount of time has passed between the events this bear is already addicted to cocaine to the yeah. point where it like is sniffing it out if it sniff if it smells cocaine on a person the bear goes goes batty the cocaine has been dropped out of the plane in these red duffel bags and when tom the paramedic has a red duffel bag with his like medical supplies in it the bear season <laughs> it is like cocaine um, but then yeah. is also very much still a bear and gets like distracted by butterflies and like you know falls, falls down asleep on, on a guy <laughs> yeah falls asleep on a guy at one point like yeah. still very much a bear yeah and one thing i i have to so I mean, the movie is fucking ridiculous. And I, I did love your reaction compared to my reaction. Because <laughs> you were, like, hiding under your jacket while I was, like, cackling for parts of yes, it. Yes, yes. But that kind of gets at what I think makes the movie work. is actually, Like, I always feel like horror comedies only work if the horror actually works. Mm-hmm. Like, they actually do have to be scary, even on a superficial level, even just yeah. if it's just jump scares. I mean, that's why Shaun of the Dead is such a brilliant movie. Or American Shaun Werewolf of the Dead in is- London. Shaun of the Dead would be a horror comedy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, American Werewolf in London. You know, these are movies that are like, they're as scary as they are funny. I yes. would say Cocaine Bear is much more on the funny side. <laughs> like yes. Like a movie like Tremors. But like even Tremors has its like moments of like being startled by the graboids or whatever. Yeah. Or like suspense. And all of that works in Cocaine Bear. Like they actually make the bear. Like when you get close ups of the bear's face, it's all fucked up and like Yeah, I mean she's she's real fucked up on this yeah. cocaine. She has a problem. Uh apparently <laughs> I was reading that Ray Liotta came in to do his I think his ADR for the mm-hmm. film. And then I think he was dead a week later. Mm-hmm. Um I read that but too. as he was leaving that ADR session, they were able to show him the bear and he was like, That looks great. Mm-hmm. Like, like he was like this. I read, we we ought to we ought to mention this. I I did read Elizabeth Banks talking about him and how uh, because you know Ray Liotta. I mean, we all know him. He's Henry Hill from Goodfellas. I mean, he's like <sighs> tough guy, gangster. Like, yeah. And it's so easy to to conflate the character with the person. But she was going out of her way just to be like, he was the sweetest, most supportive. Like, he was totally into the movie. Like, he was totally supportive of her as a director. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's good to hear. When occasionally someone's not a piece of shit in Hollywood, yeah, and I think like I think that you're right. I think it'd be very easy to like expect Ray Liotta to be this fucking you know broody, like you know, yeah, gr- like at the very least grumpy. Um, right. And uh, it's I don't think I've ever heard anything bad about Ray Liotta. No, I've actually if- I've talked to a couple people who worked on movies that he was on just over the years. You know, they're just uh-huh. working in crew positions and stuff, and they've all said that he was like lovely. Just like Ugh. super friendly to the crew, just down to earth. Like, um, if you want to see a very sort of non traditional Ray Liotta role, his work in the series, limited series Blackbird. Mm, I still need to watch that. Yeah. You really, you actually like really, really do because that mm-hmm. thing is actually 
much scarier than it sort of presents itself to be. Yeah. Like, I actually think Blackbird is a horror series. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, now I'm sold. Now I got to yeah. go check that out. Yeah. I Like, I don't know. And the sweet man whose name I'm not remembering right now, he was just up for a SAG award, oh, just does absolutely incredible work in it. And Taryn Edgerton, yeah, yeah, is fine as shit in that in that show so <laughs> lots of reasons to go check it out but yeah. uh yeah he plays a very i think a very sort of i think you see a side of ray liotta's work that you don't usually get to see in interesting series. okay cool i'll have to check that out yeah um, yeah but yeah i also oh, go, oh, go ahead. ahead i was just gonna say i also think like you were mentioning this that you know elizabeth banks was saying that he was supportive of her and everything i actually also do think that so much of this because i don't is this is this Elizabeth Banks' first directing? She, she did the the most recent Charlie's Angels movie, which didn't did. do well, but which I heard it was good, well. though. I, it was a bomb, but I heard, but like critics liked it. I never watched it, but I heard critics liked it. I also think it's interesting, one, because from my understanding, this is her project. Like she's mm-hmm. she was always on board as the director. Mm-hmm. And I think that it speaks of her and her reputation that she was able to get this particular cast. Mm-hmm. And that the work is good. Like, mm-hmm. like the work is as weird yeah. as that sounds. The work is good well, work. Well, it's good. I mean, it's again, go back and look at a movie like Tremors. Like Tremors shouldn't be as good of a movie as it is, mm-hmm. but it's got again, like like Lake Placid, but I think better than Lake Placid. Mm-hmm. It's got this really great cast. Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, uh fucking Reba McIntyre. Reba McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is it the the line that i can never i like I, it is burned into my brain is and i think it's reba mcintyre when she's doing the um for maximum penetration uh she does <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me and my brother lost it watching yeah. that we rewound that part over and over again i don't even think i was supposed to be watching the movie because i think that movie was technically a little bit older than i think you were allowed to and i think pablo was like watching it with a friend or something but i was like you wandered in (laughs) yeah i was like i'm gonna watch it and just yeah yeah, reba mcintyre saying maximum penetration is just burned into my psyche yeah i forgot about that but like i think i think in terms of like the acting i think that's the closest compared more so i would even say than like snakes on a plane because snakes on a plane is another one where everyone's a little too wink wink in that movie i think well, and I mean, um, it's a fun movie. A I mean, lot of a lot of Sam Jackson's work is a little wink wink. Yeah, yeah, which is I, I don't fantastic. Like, we all love him for that. Yeah, I don't want to knock it too much, but I think it it doesn't quite land as the way it could because mm-hmm. I think you do need to have this like kind of total commitment. And I feel like Tremors is a movie where like they play it pretty straight, um, but they allow <laughs> the jokes to come when they need to come. Right, they never push it, you know. And I right. feel like Cocaine Bear, it's the same. You just have a very pro cast. They all play off each other really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, we ought to talk about Alden Ehrenreich. Alden Ehrenreich, who is just such a sweet baby angel. uh, (laughs) And I'm super glad to see him in this movie because he's he's such a little dreamboat. You and I, I think the first thing we saw him in, was it the first thing he had done? Was when he was in that uh, Hail Caesar movie. Mm -hmm. And I think, I feel like we both walked away being like, that kid's fantastic. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was in the Han Solo movie, which did not do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went into the pandemic. So he hasn't done a lot of stuff, but he is, he's wonderful. He's so yeah. great. 
Well, and it's like, I think, I think, unfortunately, doing the solo movie kind of hurt him because just people were not going to accept non Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Right. I actually thought he was really good in the movie. I, I actually really, great. I think it's, I think it's one of my, one of the better of the recent Star Wars movies, but he, you know, I think he just Star Wars fans kind of suck. I have to say, sorry if you're a Star Wars fan. No, but listen, like, I'm not sorry if you're a Star Wars fan. <laughs> Guys, I guess sorry I've if said... you're not a, if you're like a non-shitty Star Wars fan. <laughs> listen, I've said this, and if I if <laughs> if our podcast had a bigger audience, I'd be much more concerned about saying this. I've said it to Scotty. I've said it to my brother. Here's the thing, guys. All these people, and I'm I, yeah. Let's clarify that I'm talking about toxic fandom Star mm-hmm. Wars fans, right? Okay, and you guys complain. I shouldn't say you guys because I don't know if they're listening. But these people <laughs> complaining about all of the movies and complaining that they don't want to see this person and that this person sucks and then this and how can they do this and complaining about how all these projects are ruining the movies. Guys, the original movies suck. They suck. They're, they're a great. wonderful <laughs> part of the cultural, like pop culture zeitgeist. They meant so much to you. And that is awesome. But these are not great works of art. Enjoy them for what they are. Be happy that you continue. What is it? 40, 50 years down the line that you continue to get new content for your nerdy space Western and just (laughs) shut up and like let people enjoy things and like let stuff be okay. Like go outside. Mm Touch some grass. Touch some fucking grass. (laughs) Have a conversation with a real person and like let it go. Nobody who has been in any of the new movies, any of the new projects, anything takes away from the original trilogy. Those things, well, except for fucking George Lucas, who went and fucked them up in the first place by re-releasing them. Get mad at him. Yeah. But they still exist and they still exist. Like you can preserve them in Amber Mm -hmm. and have that experience and just like, shut up. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to your favorite phrase. (laughs) No one cares, nerd. No one cares, nerd. Like you (laughs) bug so bad. And I just, I don't know. It, which this is funny because this is actually like connected to my thoughts on the menu, but Mm. to like sit there and to have absolutely no authority to Mm -hmm. bitch about stuff other than the fact that you paid $15 for a movie ticket or you paid, you know, $63 for your Disney plus subscription or whatever Mm -hmm. the fuck that doesn't actually give you a right. It gives you a right to the product Mm -hmm. and that's it. Well, and, and like, then you look, can choose from there to disengage from the product right. or not. Yeah, and I mean, look, you can have your opinions, and I don't, I don't even. I'll even go so far as to say I don't mind you voicing your opinions, but when you start harassing people online, when it turns into this fucking flame war on Twitter, when you're driving actors off of social media because you yeah. don't like their skin color, yeah. like, like seriously eat a dick like seriously yeah. eat all of the dicks and like back to old Narenreich, like i yes, think it, sorry no no I, I i think it's great i i loved everything you just said i was just like Wait, sit was back good old, and let it happen that was a good old-fashioned the weirdest thing <laughs> right. uh rant right we haven't um, had one in a while but like this dude is like really fucking good he's a he's really incredible. fucking good actor and 
he's like he was a good Han Solo. I'm sorry, he was a good Han Solo. Like, I'm sorry, like Harrison Ford's 90 or whatever, but like, <laughs> this is what you were gonna get if you're gonna get a Han Solo movie. You're gonna get someone who kind of ha- like looks like a young Harrison Ford and like has sort of that like kind of charm, which I thought yeah. he did. So I hope Cocaine Bear, which I think has been doing, I mean, it's a fairly low budget movie, you know, genre movie. This isn't gonna do Marvel money or anything, right? But I think it's been doing pretty well. I hope this kind of gives him like the jump start that I think he didn't get that he deserved. You yeah, know? yeah. Because he's yeah, fucking me too. funny as shit in this movie. And again, so good. Not and like he's actually like his character's actually got a lot of pathos. Like, yeah, I don't want to like oversell it as like you know how emotionally wrenching his character is, but like there's actually stuff going on with this character, and he sells it. Like he yeah. sells it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we were I was saying this as we were uh, leaving the movie, too. I am generally not a huge fan of Carrie Russell's Mm -hmm. work. And that could just be the particular projects that she's chosen. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I I loved her in this. I I was like, yeah, give me like, let's let's have more. I I actually want to go back because I actually think the only thing of hers I've ever seen is the movie Waitress. I never watched Felicity and I I just didn't get into the Americans. I felt like it was something I should have gotten into. But for whatever reason, it just didn't click for me. But I kind of want to give it another shot because I I really liked her in this. Well, you've got Carrie Russell, Matthew Rees. They play... Mm -hmm. They're Russian spies. It, right. I guess, I guess spoilers for the Americans, which happens I mean, like I think in, the first episode, in the first episode. So <laughs> we don't, I don't know. Uh, but you've also got Margot Martindale, who is a goddamn national treasure. Yeah. Like, I, she's fantastic. I fell in love with her when she played the mom Bennett. <laughs> I can't remember her first name. In Justified, season two of Justified. Oh, okay. She is so good. And in that show she's like you love her but she's also terrifying because she's like kind of the bad guy you know she's this like sort of hayseed like local mafioso kind of margot martindale and maybe it's because i feel like i'm a little bit of the same actor as well margot martindale is excellent at playing like the sweetest kindest Psycho. woman and then also being a fucking psychopath right because like, she does she, that in handmaid's tale too right no I, she's not in Hand, handmaid's tale oh i'm i'm confusing her with okay no never mind let I'm me double check else. that i'm on i'm on imdb right now uh but i think the person that you're thinking of, i think they, they might have like a similar look but let me go ahead and keep talking but yeah okay. i mean she's <laughs> she's she's really good at that because everything is rooted very deeply i think like in honesty and she mm-hmm. she i think deeply understands that human beings can contain multitudes mm-hmm. so you can be this very sweet very loving psychopath right and she's got a little bit of that energy even here where she's not a psycho but there's like um you know because she's super thirsty for the one dude yeah She's very resentful to carrie russell's character for like tagging along <laughs> for showing up in her fuchsia like her hot fuchsia jumpsuit right. looking for her starts, kid and then when she starts like trying to kill the bear and make some mistakes in, in the decisions. pursuit of killing the bear uh like that's you start seeing that like okay she's like a little crazy you know yeah yeah and i think like she's she uh she also plays bella abzug in mrs america which is also a fantastic mm, right. limited series uh also starring friend of the pod melanie linsky and elizabeth banks as well which is just it's a great it's about the 
Equal Rights Amendment being ratified. Go check that out. I think it's on Hulu. Okay. No, I don't believe that she is in Handmaid's Tale. I think I know who I'm confusing her with. I can't remember the character, the actress's name. And there's, they're not dissimilar type. Yeah. But she, yeah, no, she's great in this. Like I said, I mean, my probably my favorite performance was O'Shea Jackson. Great, great. Work. I also, I'm just, I'm happy to see Isaiah Whitlock in anything because I'm such a huge fan of The Wire. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he's he's great in this too. It's kind of like the downtrodden cop who's like wanted to adopt a dog and got the wrong dog, but then kind of falls in love with the dog. Just a got. great story. Yeah. And he has like beautiful teeth. I know that that's the <laughs> weirdest thing that makes me sound like a serial killer, but really does have like beautiful teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, honestly, it's like, it's really it we, is we gotta, way better work than you think you would think you would get from a movie called cocaine bear yeah okay yeah. I, I do need to talk to the horror fans a little bit here okay uh because we need to talk about how fucking gory this movie is mm. um like if if you're a horror fan and, and you're thinking like oh this cocaine it's like hollywood shit it's like they're gonna they're not gonna go for it no they go for it like it's gory as shit like and like there's some stuff that happens that is just super cringy i don't want to give it away but a character gets a road rash on their face at one point um in a very and they like, don't... intense close-up <laughs> yeah i think that's the thing right is where a lot of other movies would i think again or not again but of course not to doc not to talk disparagingly about our favorite series and the best series ever made yellow jackets um <laughs> but this is something that i think separates cocaine bear is like in yellow jackets you have a very bad wound and like i'm talking you can cut this out, but I'm talking mm. about when Coach Ben, you get a like a frame or two of what's going mm. on there versus Cocaine Bear, where it is, like you said, an extended close up well, is- of what is happening. This is a version of what I was talking about last week, where it was like the difference between the um, RKO movies and the Universal horror movies. Mm. Like the RKO movies was all about like what you don't see, mm-hmm. and the Universal movies are all about no, the scare comes from like look at the thing, you know. Right. And like this is the 2023 much gorier version of that. Like it's like no, we're gonna show you in the way like all of us gorehounds, all of us who love like a good just gory bloody horror movie, you know, because like it's another thing that again go back to lake placid which i believe is a pg-13 movie and i think also tremors is pg-13 just doesn't like those are i i I love tremors but i'll say lake placid just doesn't quite go for it you know Mm -hmm. and when you're doing a giant crocodile or or a bear on cocaine movie it's like there's no reason not to just fucking balls out go for it and this movie does and i think the only time we are like kept from that is the very first kill of the movie and right. i understand why that happened right you know what I mean? then you do like, you do get a little a little a little flavor of what's to come <laughs> you get a little bit but compared mm. to what is in the rest of the movie that mm-hmm. death is very tame yeah absolutely yeah yeah so yeah super fun now i guess maybe to segue to the menu mm-hmm the thing about Cocaine Bear is, like, it's a super fun movie that really isn't trying to be anything other than a super fun movie. Yes. And that's one realm of the horror comedy. 
yeah. that we can, you know, that that's a movie like Tremors. That's, you know, a movie like Snakes on a Plane. You yeah. Know? Cocaine Bear knows exactly what it is and isn't and trying to be anything it's more not or trying less. to be anything more. Right. Mm-hmm. The menu is a very different animal. Very different animal. <laughs> so should we should we talk about the menu now? Yeah, let's talk about the menu. Um, okay, so I have lots of thoughts on it, but I kind of want to hear your thoughts first because we actually haven't. We didn't watch it together, no. and we really haven't talked about it. No, uh, which is actually perfect for this. Okay, so you know we did the we did the synopsis beforehand, and mm-hmm. where I land on this, and I think I had told you this in the brief discussion that we had about it, is for me the menu is a horror movie for creatives, somewhat similar to the way that Whiplash is. Mm-hmm. However, I think that what you have here is that the good and bad guys are kind of reversed. Mm-hmm. I think the menu is almost like. If Whiplash is a horror movie for creatives and then it's like, oh, my God, like this is the madness that this pursuit Mm -hmm. of greatness can lead you down. I think the menu is like a revenge fantasy. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like Um, kind of the culmination of that. Like, yeah, yeah. 40 years later. Yeah. Of like, that's where this obsession will lead you. Yeah, yeah. And like there. I think the interesting thing about the menu is there is some gore. In some cases, I think a bit more, I think in a lot of cases, a bit more subtle oh, yeah. than clearly Cocaine Bear is. Yeah, it's not, not do it. It's not trying to be Cocaine Bear. Yeah, but this was a movie where I, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to make me sound like a sociopath, but I was like, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Like I'm not, I'm honestly not mad at it, and I'm not, not. I don't, mad I don't, at I don't, don't fault, I don't fault these people for doing what they did. Like I'm like, this is, this is well deserved. Interesting. No, that that's that's interesting. I, I have a slightly different take, but I can totally see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk. So I was being a little bit like because I was trying uh, not to like get lost in a big long plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, like just to give a little bit more of what happens in this movie, mm-hmm. they. All show up on this island, this restaurant. Um, it's super, it's like one of those molecular gastronomy type places where everything's like super deconstructed mm-hmm. and like you know, it's all like foam and you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the Anya Taylor Joy character, Margot, who and I'm again, spoilers, I'm just gonna reveal like we find out she's not actually the girlfriend of Nicholas Holt, but mm-hmm. she he hired her, she's an escort, mm-hmm. and he hired her because oh. his girlfriend friend dumped him before he could come to the restaurant and he's such a food like he he was like i need someone to be with at this restaurant yeah because they Um, don't do seatings for one seatings for one and it's clear just to inject this it's clear from the beginning that her being there her substituting or nicholas holt's character tyler substituting Margot for his ex-girlfriend is throws everything it's it's a problem yeah right but what we find out is that uh, his name is Julian Slowick, played by Ray Fiennes. He's the mm-hmm. head chef of what do they call it? Hawthorne. That's the Hawthorne. Name of the mm-hmm. And clearly, like, actually a cult leader <laughs> is what we find out. And like, all of his staff are like his little cult minions. Mm-hmm. And this is his big final plan to like go out in a bang. So his menu, it starts with like actual food, but then it leads to murder, suicide, and in- induced suicide, f- uh, fingers being chopped 
dropped off, etc. And it's basically his way of like he's punishing these people that he says you have like basically ruined my art. You have like sucked the joy out of this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like this is my final statement, and it's all about Margot, who is not even supposed to be there, trying to like kind of like MacGyver a way through his fucked up mind to get out of this situation and so what you're saying about like you're not mad at what he did what he was doing because like this is where the movie i think really does work as a black comedy mm-hmm. is you know the 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 definition of black comedy i always got from uh my screenwriting one of my screenwriting instructors was you know in a normal movie you're trying to create a sense of empathy between us and the character in a black comedy you're actually doing the opposite you're trying to create a sense of contempt between us and the character and who we empathize with as the author who's sitting there next to us being like, can you fucking believe these people? Mm-hmm. And that's like the, re- the experience you have watching this movie. Cause like other than Margot, everyone sucks. Right. Like, I mean, it's finance bros. It's the most insufferable food critic who's ever lived. It's- well, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to pause here and say that I don't think that she's the most insufferable food critic. The tech the finance bros are finance bros. Like they're, they're like, I think that's actually the beauty of it is that these are all kind of, this isn't necessarily the worst of the worst. They all have reasons for being there specifically that have mm-hmm. to do with relationships and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know that they're worse than anybody else in their fields. No, like, no, no. John Leguizamo as the actor, he's your run-of-the-mill guy who's like, I'm just doing this to get a paycheck, man. Right. You know? Yeah, um, no, well, and what the movie does, I think, really well, it works on that black comedy level, but at the same time, it walks a tightrope because it does treat them as real people. Like, they, particularly like John Leguizamo felt pretty real. The Finance Bros feel pretty real. Mm-hmm. I did. I mean, I I don't. I, maybe I just don't know enough food critics, but I found her incredibly insufferable. So, well, I think that's she also was the most hateful character to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think that she's pretty on par with most food critics. I mean, mm-hmm. I, like, I mean, if I'm being honest, most critics. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be a dick when I say this, but. The idea of a critic is so interesting to me because it is a job that you can get without having any other qualifications other than you have an opinion. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to study the thing that you're critiquing. You don't have mm-hmm. to be able to do the thing that you are critiquing. Right. You just have to be like, I like this or I don't. Well, and even more than that, I think what the critics who succeed tend to be the ones who are really good at the takedown. If you're good at like cleverly kind of dismantling something yeah and i i mean i don't know about that because i think that's the incentive i don't i don't read any (laughs) critics stuff so i can't i can't speak from experience on that but i think it's people who have i think it's i think the best critics are probably the ones who have the strongest opinions right you know well i should say like there's good critics who are thoughtful and everything i would say the incentive to be a successful critic often too often is to be shitty like right and the thing that sucks about that is that's only because that's like you know it's the same thing with like enragement engagement on social mm-hmm. media exactly. right yeah. it's like the shittiest hottest takes get the most visibility and an engagement because people are like how dare you have that shitty opinion here's my 
my shitty opinion, mm-hmm. you know? No, the only character, I mean, you're right that it, like they're not caricatures, but they all, they represent elements of this upper class privileged society mm-hmm. that just has its head up its ass. The mm-hmm. only character who's like actually like hateful and kind of evil of the people in the uh, restaurant is Tyler, who is Margot's date, because we yes. find out, again, spoilers, that he knew the plan. And yes. he basically the- hired her knowing what's going to happen. Right. He knew the plan, knowing that the plan was that everyone there was going to die. Mm-hmm. And again, Hawthorne doesn't do seatings for one. And so was like, I need to experience this to the point where I don't care if somebody else loses their life because right. of it, which we don't need to talk about this now. We can we can come back to it. But I am equally fascinated and repulsed by the character of Tyler. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about him that I'm like, does it like, is he truly like so much of a like sociopath that he was like, I don't care if I die at the end of this, I'm going to get mm-hmm. this really good meal. And I don't like, I don't care if other people die. I'm not going to warn anybody. I'm not going to do anything. Or is there something in him that is like, but surely I won't die. Like chef will see how committed I am to the food and what a fan I am. And -hmm. he'll take pity on me. I think, I think that that's the way I read it. Cause he's always like super concerned whether chef will like him. Well, and even things of like, you know, so, (laughs) okay. I'm going to go through the courses real fast. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first course is chef's welcome. And it's a raw local oyster and a mignonette emulsion with lemon caviar and an oyster leaf. Then you have an amuse bouche, which is compressed and pickled cucumber melon, milk, snow, and charred lace. The island, which is a raw diver scallop, pickled local seaweeds and algae. The breadless bread The breadless bread place. This is when I was like, what's happening here? Where are we going? Where are we going with it? Breadless bread plate, which is no bread and savory accompaniments. Memory, house smoked, brise, chicken thigh, al pastor, (laughs) tortillas, which just fucking Elsa's thing when the finance bros are like, what is this? And she goes, tortillas, tortillas <laughs> deliciosas with like perfect fucking pronunciation mm-hmm. is uh, so fantastic. But tortillas made with heirloom masa, green salsa cubes, the mess, which is pressure cooked vegetables, roasted filet, potato confit, beef jus and bone marrow. That was the dish that I was like, slide that over this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that dish <laughs> looked incredible. Palate cleanser, wild bergamot, and clover tea, man's folly, dungeness crab, fermented yogurt whey, dried sea lettuce, um, umeboshi, umeboshi uh, and kelp, passard egg, which is egg, creme fraiche, and maple, Tyler's bullshit, uh, <laughs> undercooked lamb, inedible shallot leek butter sauce, utter lack of cohesion, supplement, <laughs> and then a supplemental course, which is a cheeseburger, just a well-made cheeseburger, and then s'mores, which I'm not going to get into just yet because that comes we'll at get the there. end. Yeah. Yeah. And we should yeah. say that, like, that is the surface level. That's, like, what's printed on the menu for, like, what these courses yes. are. There's a yes. lot more to each of these courses. As yes. We find out. <laughs> as, as we find out. Um, Hold on. Where were we? Oh, oh, this is what I was saying. Talking about Tyler, the thing that makes me 
sort of, I think, along with you, wonder if he was like, no, 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 surely I'll make it out of here alive, is the fact that he was taking pictures of the food. And I bring that Mm -hmm. up. The reason I brought up the courses is because when everybody gets the tortillas, they are laser printed with incriminating evidence. So the Mm -hmm. finance bros have, what is it? Is it like records of embezzlement? Yeah, it's like wire transfer information. Wire transfer information. The Mm -hmm. older couple who, the wife is played by Judith Light, who I... (laughs) Judith Light to me is another casualty that actually hurt my heart a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's um, there's nothing wrong with her as a person. Her and her husband are clearly, they've been there several times. They're, you know, like you said, they are wealthy. The husband clearly recognizes Margot when they mm-hmm. are on the dock waiting for the ferry. And so what they get on their tortillas is pictures of the husband with other escorts. I don't remember what, do we see what John Leguizamo gets? He gets the movie poster for the movie. The, oh, the, <laughs> Calling uh, Dr. Like, Sunshine. Calling Dr. Sunshine. <laughs> That's <laughs> Which was right. like his shitty movie that he did. For That's Patreon. right. And then the food credit gets images of reviews of restaurants that have closed. Because of her. Because of her bad reviews. Right. Yeah. And then Tyler, what Tyler gets is <laughs> photographs of him taking photographs of the food, which was explicitly stated as not being allowed. Right. Yeah. And that's so where that's... he's like, should I go apologize to Chef? Like, <laughs> is Chef? And that's where I started being like, he's starting to realize like, oh, like, Chef might kill me too if I piss him off. That's the way I interpreted that. I see. I don't know if he actually interpreted it as Chef will kill me too. I really think it was so much more about like Chef will be upset with me, right. which You'll is be a disappointed. Very, well, be, yeah, because dis- he's such a sycophant, right? He's such a fucking sycophant and, and like just the wor- absolute worst human being. He's the foodie version of the Star Wars fans you were just talking about. He is. He's a toxic <laughs> fan. Yeah. Absolutely. He's a toxic yeah. fan. So, yeah, you know, you go through this whole thing of this whole menu. It isn't until we get to the mess, which is where stuff goes off the rails and you're like, oh, this is never coming back. And like uh, the course before with the tortillas is where you start realizing like, okay, there's like there's a deeper, darker plan here, but you don't really know what. Right. And then the mess is like, oh, here it is. Yeah. And here is the thing for me is that I went into, much like Cocaine Bear as well, I went into the menu knowing that it was a satire horror, a mm-hmm. horror comedy, a black comedy horror. Right. And that it was about, you know, this restaurant and not knowing anything else. I really didn't. It. I didn't know anything else other than I'd seen the trailer. Right. And so, yeah. So, you know, you you get the tacos and the tortillas have these pictures on it. You know, you start to be like, "Mm, maybe this is blackmail. Maybe, you know, we're going to have a sort of like clue, murder, mystery, thriller kind of thing. And then again, big spoilers. Then you get the mess, which is one of the employees in the kitchen. I can't remember what his position is. He's a sous chef. But he, you know, comes out, they lay out this big tarp and stuff and they start like putting all these herbs and stuff down. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, what is happening? And that's when chef starts talking to Jeremy and is like, do you want my life? Not my work, not my title, not my reputation. Do you want my life and do you like this life and jeremy's like no jeremy is very clearly upset and then well, jeremy- was, uh, just real quick because it starts off with chef being like this is jeremy he's one of the sous chefs he's very good he's mm-hmm. very talented but he's not great and he's yeah, never gonna yeah. be great and how, yeah. how do you feel about that jeremy you know yeah that's right and ends with jeremy taking his life mm-hmm. um himself. 
Mm-hmm. And then they play, and then they put the plates of food down in front of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, there's so many great little details in this movie, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff I was picking up on a second viewing today, where it's like, right before he shoots himself, you see one of the other employees like pull the big plastic sheet across mm-hmm. the kitchen. Mm-hmm. He shoots himself. There's blood splatter, and then they immediately open <laughs> that big plastic yeah. sheet up, and all they're coming out with the plates. Yeah. There's a couple of like, which is interesting, right? And I think something that. It acted like, again, these two movies that fall under the same genre, technically, mm-hmm. um, and are on opposite ends of the spectrum. But I think this is actually something that they have in common is these absurd circumstances. Right. Uh, yeah. You know? it is. So, like, you have that of them, like, closing the curtain so that blood doesn't get in the food. Right. Even though everybody's going to die. Mm-hmm. And then the other one to me is at the very end. <laughs> Almost the very end, the chef brings out the bills. Like, why are people? And they pay. They pay the bill. Yeah, they're like begrudgingly putting their credit cards down. (laughs) And he's going through the whole spiel. He gives them their gift bags, the fucking (laughs) granola and the printed menu and shit. And it's like nobody's leaving this bitch. Like, why are you doing this? Well, it's just like I think it's just his obsession. He has to like go through the entire right. He has to process. But it is. You're right. It's totally absurd. And that's so like Cocaine Bear. I mean, it's got some genuine scares, but they're mostly of the like jump scare variety. Right. You know, there's no point in Cocaine Bear that I felt uncomfortable. Like, and the way you described the mini where you're just like a wire that's fraying as you're watching it. The movie that it reminded me the most of when I rewatched it today, I didn't necessarily get this sense when I first saw it, but one of my favorite movies, I made you watch it. It's similar. It's got some similar satiric elements, but it's not particularly funny is the movie, The Invitation Mm -hmm. uh, from not the one that just came out a year ago, but from 2015. Yeah, no, like I very much felt the same way watching The Invitation as I did the menu which is that something terrible is clearly going to happen and i just don't know what well and and they work in a similar way in that you know something terrible is coming mm-hmm. but they they fall under the the category and there's another movie that is not funny at all that came out last year that like traumatized me uh, it's a danish film called speak no evil that mm. very much works in the same way where these are polite horror these are horror of manners right and these are horror movies that about like i know something is way off the rails but it's like i don't want to be the one to speak up kind right. of right and chef says that right he's like you could you could have at any you time and that happens in Why speak didn't no you? E- that happens in speak no evil too i, w- I don't want to spoil speak no evil i will just say horror fans if you have not seen speak no evil what the fuck are you doing you need to go watch that movie everybody else tread with real caution yeah <laughs> that, yeah that's like varsity level horror like i can't remember if you told me what the story was or if you were sort of like it's you know about this and then i, I went and looked it up you had already looked it up because when i told you what happened you were like mm-hmm, yep i know and i'm never gonna watch it yeah. yeah and that was that's the thing is that i was like because and listen i will happily spoil myself if mm-hmm. i'd like i understand what i'm doing and most of the times when i spoil myself it is because i either don't have any interest in actually watching the thing like i did with the red wedding <laughs> I, I know still i'm still angry about it <laughs> or i need to know whether or not I'm going to be able to handle the thing. Right. And that movie was a thing that I was like, absolutely no. not, no, well, not ever going to put myself through. Well, that. But 
but like it was interesting so like i so like i was saying i had a mm. somewhat different reaction to the movie this time yeah uh, the, the first time i saw the movie i absolutely loved it it was my favorite movie of last year and i thought it was fucking hilarious very dark uh-huh. uncomfortable but very funny Mm-hmm. Watching it a second time and like kind of knowing where it was going, it wasn't nearly as funny on the second viewing to me. And it was much more disturbing. Like it actually really got under my skin this time mm-hmm. in a way like Speak No Evil or The Invitation, which mm-hmm. it, I think the fact that it was so satiric my first time through, that was the reaction I had. I didn't really plug into actually how effective a horror movie the menu is until a second viewing. Yeah. Like, I knew everything that was going to happen, and I was squirming as I was watching it. Yeah, there is... And again, there is some stuff that is just absurd enough because the one diner we have not talked about yet, who is the 12th diner, is Chef's mom. Oh, right, right, right. And she is in the dining room, uh, and she's clearly a drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, you know, I think at the very end, she's, like, already passed out. Oat yeah. on her table but there's that moment when i think he's talking about her right and he goes over and he just presses his forehead into the side of her head mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where it's like at first you're like oh and then it goes on for just a little too long mm-hmm. that you're like oh this is not there's this some... is not like a, a a gesture of affection no and the movie does a lot of stuff that like people talk about in the british version of the office where it's like holding a beat just too long and then the office it's that uncomfortable humor thing which is happening here but then they just they tweak it just enough here where then it turns mm-hmm. becomes pretty horrifying yeah, yeah. um the sommelier is also another one that well like when mm. he first pops up on the scene you're like who's this okay. fucking guy yeah and he says something and he's like it tastes deeply of like uh apricots and regret or so it's, it's like, like no and, and notes of loss and regret yeah it's something like that that you're like and she's like mm, my favorite like, yeah yeah but then there's another scene i don't remember when it is that it's happening but they it's like they pan by him and he's standing by the wall and he's just like sort of maniacally smiling Grinning. yeah yeah you start to be like what are we doing here like well, what's happening and one of the things that i actually found really disturbing on a like and again a lot of times what works best in horror is what you don't see Mm -hmm. and so i think part of why cocaine bear so more towards the funny side Mm -hmm. is like you see everything and there's no mystery it's like it's barren cocaine yeah yeah like we get it (laughs) right and i think that that's the thing that we can all agree on right is that a bear on cocaine is terrifying and validly so and it's not anybody's actually i mean i guess you could say the drug lords or whatever but nobody who's having to deal with it it's not an it's not really any of their faults right exactly whereas in the menu Well, in the menu, one of the things that really like got to me this time is the mm-hmm. cult aspect because one of the things that is never really explained is like what the fuck has been going on on this island with all these people who live here that work at this restaurant where they have all just lost their fucking minds. Yeah. And they've all kind of bought into chef's obsessions. And, here and is bitterness and you yeah know. here is an interesting thing is that i read a new york times review of the menu today mm-hmm. and the thing is is that like when we're talking about this type of restaurant okay mm-hmm. not not like an applebee's or anything <laughs> but when we're talking about this kind of restaurant these chefs employees all that stuff are usually putting in 18 hour days 
Mm -hmm. So the conditions of the film are not really that different from the conditions of restaurants of this level in Mm -hmm. real life. Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, is that if you're working at a restaurant like this that is in New York City, you work these 18-hour days, you're dead tired, but you still go home to your own place. Mm -hmm. Whereas these people don't. They're isolated. They are isolated. They are stuck with each other. And they turn into the Manson family. And they turn they they turn into Jonestown. Or Jonestown. That's actually a much better comparison. They turn into Jonestown. Yeah. And like, you know, there's moments where the female sous chef, when she's sitting with all the women and she's like, <gasps> I and love she just that starts scene. crying and then kind of snaps out of it. You're just like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> and yeah. it's funny. And like that scene is one of the best because it's funny and also, again, deeply disturbing. Deeply disturbing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I also just fucking love the little whatever it is, whether it's that she's like, I'm dying, so I'm might as well have a cigarette or if she's like i'm a food critic and i fucking smoke um mm-hmm. i love the fact that she takes a cigarette from Margot uh because mm-hmm. it is it's just like well yeah fuck, fuck my palate <laughs> well that that scene is great because it's you know like one of my favorite scenes in pulp fiction is the opening with vincent and sam jackson jules they go in with like all the college kids and the one college kid brett i think you know look at the big brain on brett is kind of trying to talk his way out of it yeah he's like oh, i'm sorry i didn't catch your name and, he, and I, he's like my name is bubba i don't remember what he says his name is he's like and your ass isn't talking your way out of this and that's that moment in the menu where like they're trying to kind of like no we love your dish to the sous chef and like i could help you open your own restaurant basically like trying to like pry her off of mm-hmm. and she's like oh no it was my pitch that everyone should die yeah, yeah. and i'm super proud of it and they're yeah. like she's okay she's a goner like we're and, not talking our way out of this yeah no we're like we're toast and i think that that's a really so i think part of the reason why you know i was saying that this is a bit of a revenge fantasy i remember that the line stuck out to me the first time i watched it and then watching it again it actually hit me even harder but it is when chef is talking to the older couple mm-hmm. uh judith light and the man who plays her husband at this time the poor guy's already fucking lost a finger um right yeah (laughs) it's it's you know jesus but he says he's like how many times have you been here and the husband is like he's like five or six and then and he in the and chef says 11 you've been here 11 times and he's like can you name one dish you had the last time where you were here and then i think he amends it to go can you name one dish you've had here period yeah. And the husband is like, uh, no. and then Judith Light whispers cod. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what was that? And she says, cod, cod. We had the cod. And he goes, it was halibut. Um, like, it was a rare halibut. It was like yeah, rare, rare spotted sp- halibut. Yeah, rare spotted halibut. And she goes, what does it matter? And he says, it matters to the halibut. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. and I think it's. I think one of the reasons for me like this movie hit so hard is because this is not to me. Mm -hmm. This is not a movie about somebody who, you know, was doing this thing and he was like making food and he was like, I'm really good at this. And then sort of like believed his own hype and then became insane. To me, this is a movie about someone who loved what he was doing and had it ruined by the fact that he was his art was being consumed, which it's food, so it's supposed to be, but mm. it was being consumed in the way that everything right now is being consumed mm-hmm. in that it's like shoving it down your gullet, shitting it out, which is like part of the next line that he says, right? Mm-hmm. He says it matters to the halibut and to the chef whose food turns to shit in your gut. 
and that it's this thing that it's like, you know, it's always like more, more, more. And I, I'm not actually here because I give a fuck about the art that is being created for mm-hmm. me, the work that has gone into this for me, but rather to say that I've been here. And well, yeah, because it's all about the status. Right. For and right. yeah. And like, I know that you and I have talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but to me, food and any kind of performing art, there is so much overlap in these two particular art forms Mm -hmm. in that there is an incredible amount of training, whether it is, you know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) working in kitchens or going to culinary school or whatever, or going, you know, getting your MFA or whatever. There's an incredible amount of training. There's an incredible amount of experience and there is an incredible amount of hope that Mm -hmm. goes into the creation of this thing that it is going to be received and consumed with the intent of the creator. Mm -hmm. And both things are ephemeral. Mm -hmm. You can make the exact same dish the exact same way, but your mood, the person eating it, the Mm -hmm. weather, where the beef comes from will have subtle changes on it. And any kind of performance, whether it is acting, music, opera, dance, is the same way, right? Like Mm -hmm. it once, like you create something and once that thing is put out for public consumption, you will never have that particular thing. Right. And I mean, it's what they even say when they're like, no pictures. It's like, you know, the beauty is the, the ephemeral nature of it. Right. The beauty is that it exists in this moment and no other moment. Right. And I think with so many other art forms, there ex- there remains a product for posterity, whether that is a mm-hmm. film reel or pages in a book or an actual painting. painting. They exist and people can continue to consume that thing and it, to no detriment to the thing itself, right? right. That it, it, it Well, it's like you were saying about Star Wars is it's like, you know all these fans saying you're ruining the the movies it's like no the movies the movies exist, exist. i mean stephen king has a quote where like some some interviewer was like well how, how do you feel about them always ruining your your books and he's like they haven't ruined anything they're on the shelf by me yeah they're um, there they exist they're there. they exist and i think that like you know to know all of this that goes into that and to see how these particular things can be ruined by one person being like, there was too much salt. The like the hilarious thing mm-hmm. about the review of the menu from the New York Times is that the reviewer downplays the artistry of food. Mm-hmm. And in the reviewing I think I, I think of I read a movie uh, yeah. about what happens who down to people who downplay the artistry of food, uh, he's kind of taught well, I don't know if it was a heap. They are kind of talking about it like, you know, like, why are your panties in such a twist about food? And mm. it's like, oh, my God, like, you yeah, would I die at I, this fucking place. I could be wrong. I think it was A.O. Scott who's there, one of their main critics. But, yeah, that's really interesting because I have a different take. But I don't mm-hmm. disagree with anything you said. I guess what I would say is I, I have a yes and take mm-hmm. because I think there's another level. And I think you're really coming at it from the perspective of a performing artist who. Very much so. And I know you've had this experience where you've gone out there on stage and like there's not many people in the audience and they're all checked out and they're not laughing when they're supposed to. And you're just like, what did I just do for the last you right. know, two hours right. or whatever? And that's a very like that is not a perspective I brought to this. So I don't mm-hmm. think I quite interpreted it the way you did. I see it a little bit different and a little bit less sympathetically to him. Mm-hmm. into their their mission of murder and mayhem yeah um, 
to me the key is the cheeseburger the cheeseburger cheeseburger because the way i read it and i think everything you said like i don't think these things are necessarily exclusive but i think another thing going on is that if you like any any creative whether you're a writer you're a visual artist you're an actor you're a musician most people we start pursuing our creative pursuits as kids or as young people we don't have a philosophy behind it we don't have training behind it we just my guess i don't i'm probably i don't think i've ever talked to you about this but my guess is your first time on stage you were probably young you didn't know what you're doing but it awakened something in you like you just fell in love with whatever this thing is you know without even really understanding what it was for me it was like just coming up with a story when i was very young you know there's this child like the thing that draws us to be creative is kind of just a, a childish impulse of like i enjoy this this there's something satisfying in this and like it's not intellectual you know mm-hmm. and over time I think another thing most creatives can probably relate to is as you get older, as you start things like business considerations come in. Yeah. Things like, you know, the the intellectual theoretical framework of, you know, what art is, you know, and you know, for me, it was like lots of like literary theory classes was when I was in college and stuff. And mm-hmm. then, and then you start trying to please people, and you're and you start chasing that. And what happens is you just lose touch with the original thing that made you fall in love with it, mm-hmm. which which is this like just almost primal thing that for most of us happened when we were kids or teenagers or whatever. And a lot of creatives like will will end up in that space and you either like continue down that road which just leads you to like a sort of creative oblivion i've been there that's why i kind of backed mm-hmm. out of film stuff mm-hmm. or you kind of reset and you're like wait what was the thing that i loved and so to me the cheeseburger is key because it's like he just loved cooking for people he he loved food and you know, there's something about just a cheeseburger. It's simple, and you know, mm-hmm. and he lost his way in going in this like suit. Like she calls him out on it. She's like, "It's all an intellectual exercise." I'm still hungry. <laughs> I'm still hungry. When she's like, "Even your hot dishes are cold," you mm-hmm. know, like yeah, there's no love and there's your no food. love in it, and that really rattles him. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. We always make things with love. And she's like, mm, you're fooling yourself. And you see it kind of click with, and this is why, you know, and I, she figures out this is her way out. Again, mm-hmm. spoiler. But this is why I think he lets her go because mm-hmm. she kind of saw into his soul in a way. And then he's like, all right, what do you want? I just want a cheeseburger. And she's like, not some deconstructed blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'll make you feel like this is the first cheeseburger you've ever had or something. Yeah. And he says the like the shitty cheeseburger that you had because your parents had no money. Right. And I'm pretty sure this is true. The only time in the movie you see him smile is when he's making the cheeseburger. So I think everything you said is true. Mm-hmm. I think part of where he got disillusioned is these assholes who don't appreciate what he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I think... On a personal level, there's also now, like, there's a part of me that really feels deeply for him, even though he's terrifying in the movie, mm-hmm. because I related to, I related to that. This is a guy who just forgot why he loves this and doesn't mm-hmm. know how to get back, right? And has let it kind of drive him to this extreme, right? And the thing is, is that like, I don't disagree with that either, because I think the part two to what I was saying mm-hmm. is you have the stuff, you put all this love and time and attention into making somebody something, and then they're like, I don't even know what it was. 
Right. I can't remember it. I don't remember anything about it. Blah, blah, blah. The second part, like the, the other side of the coin to that is also that you allow yourself to become, you allow yourself and mm -hmm. your work to become consumable for the mm -hmm. sake of being like, well, maybe if I do more and maybe if I do it more perfect and oh. maybe if I do it like this, or maybe if I do more what people want, then they'll love me better. And then and, I'll find that joy again. That, that's which the I, thing I felt so deeply in this movie. And I think that that is why this is not about just killing the guests. No, It's about killing themselves as well mm -hmm. absolutely is that it, it is that it's an understanding that they also allowed themselves to become cogs in the machine well he even says it even before she calls him out where he's like i allowed myself in my art to get to a place where the only people who can afford it are you people yeah you know so he and he's... he could have stayed just cooking cheeseburgers Right. And like my thing watching it and with my personal trajectory and my creative work, because, you know, my version of the molecular gastronomy was like trying to be a screenwriter mm. because you're constantly trying to please people who don't get what you're trying to do. And who, and are, also, your, who are also gatekeeping success. And they're from gatekeeping you. success. And like literally keeping the gate to it. You cannot mm -hmm. get to this level. You cannot get to this other side. You cannot have success unless you do what I tell you to do, which right. is to dumb down your work, to make it more quote unquote accessible, mm -hmm. to, you know, distill it, not yeah. distill it, to to um, dilute it and all of those things for mass consumption. Right. And the thing is, I just, I mean, I had moments of being like, maybe I just don't want to do this at all anymore. Like, maybe I don't want to be a writer anymore. And it really had to be like... I had to like step away from it and be like, no, what was the thing I originally loved? What was the thing I fell in love with as a kid? And I was very aware that like, I can't, and maybe this is where I have less sympathy for him in the movie mm -hmm. is I was thinking my mind is like, even though, yes, I've had to deal with all these douchebags and, and producers who don't get what I'm trying to do and blah, 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 people trying to change my voice, all this stuff. But I was also like, I really can't blame anyone but myself. It's on me to make the choice to go back to what I loved, which was mm -hmm. the more simple. I just want to just tell the fucking stories I want to tell. And so I, where I lose sympathy for Chef in the movie is I'm like, you could, I like, I don't care about the people you're killing because they suck, but like, um, <laughs> you could actually just like go open like a, a fucking comfort food restaurant like the stuff that you used to make when you love, you know, and just like make people happy with your food. You could do that. But can he? But, well, that's the thing is he's so far gone in this place that like. And I don't even just mean, would he be able to allow himself? I mean, would society be able to let him? Well, and that's, and that's, that's like a very good. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's like a very good question. Like, you know what I mean? Because if now he was that he's like, known... <laughs> yeah, as like the chef at Hawthorne and all this stuff. And he's had all of these like very, you know, he's had this illustrious career. If he was like, you know what, guys, I'm shutting this shit down and I'm going to go open a fucking, you know, chicken fried beef, steak and <laughs> yeah, sandwich place like in the bear. And I'm just going to be doing that. People would still be like, now we're going to go see chef. What's his name? Sloic was chef's uh, yeah. like his new try at this chopped beef sandwich. So that's a, like, no, that, that's think, a really good point. That's a really good point. I don't yeah. know if, if, and <laughs> let me be very clear here. <laughs> is that I am not saying that creatives should become cult leaders or that they should and or murderers and or mass murderers. I am right. not saying that. Mm -hmm. I do deeply sympathize with the thing of being like, I am trapped doing this thing yeah. and I don't see a way 
I don't, I don't see a way to do it, which yeah. is, and so the cheeseburger thing to me is one last opportunity to cook one last good meal yeah. that is just going to be well, enjoyed for being the meal that it is. And actually what I, one thing I love, cause I just, I absolutely love this movie. Like, yeah. and one thing I love about it is that I think it really does leave a lot of room to interpret open mm-hmm. to interpretation because like i don't think we're exactly disagreeing but we're kind of coming at it from different angles and Very i think we're so. i think we're both right mm-hmm. um i think the movie allows us to both be right yes you know it's not it's not kind of forcing a perspective into a box or whatever and like it's not often that i find a horror movie that works on because you know, I've always felt like horror works best when it's not intellectual, when you don't have to think about it. Like horror is primal. It's fucking cavemen being afraid of what they can't see on the other side of the fire, you know? Yeah. And like the more you overthink horror, it loses the horror. And this is like the shining exception to that rule because it works on that primal level, but there's so much you can dig into. Like it's such a thoughtful movie at the same time. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that I like it is it's a very thoughtful movie. And I feel I think the fact that I'm like, I relate to this, I relate to wanting to be like, please, please consider what I am doing. And consider the time and the energy and the love that went into this thing. And Mm -hmm. being so not just frustrated, but so like, deeply hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, when it doesn't get that, mm-hmm. um, that it is a thing where it is, <laughs> which is why I say that it's sort of a revenge fantasy, because my God, there ha- like there have absolutely been times when there has been reviews or, you know, we've put on like wonderful shows that people haven't come to see. Mm-hmm. And then I see sold out houses of stuff that is just, you know, hot and candy right. um and i'm just like what do you want like what do you want right. what do you what right. do you like what do you need what is it that you want mm-hmm. and that like frustration and pain well, so i think the thing is is that like i deeply deeply sympathize with it which again why i'm like for me this is a revenge fantasy yeah, yeah i i guess i see it as, as opposed like- to being like they're right Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, that's a good way to put it. Because yeah. like you can empathize with the impulse towards revenge while at the same time being like, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah. You know? What do you think about the ending of the movie? Because again, <laughs> spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the final dish is... <laughs> S'mores. S'mores. Uh, which the full menu reading of that is marshmallow, chocolate, graham cracker, customers, staff, restaurant. Right. And uh, this presentation of s'mores is based on one of these restaurants. I think it's a restaurant in Chicago, actually, mm. who basically paints the table with the s'mores ingredients. Oh, inter- um, hmm, interesting. In the menu, they paint the entire floor with the chocolate and everything. People, the guests are adorned with these like marshmallow cowls mm-hmm. <laughs> and these they're chocolate caps, but they just, they look like giant Rolos to me, right? right. That gets, they're like these chocolate fezzes that get put mm-hmm. on the guest's head and then the whole thing goes up in flame. But what's interesting to me is Margot does this whole thing, right? She asks for this cheeseburger. He brings her a cheeseburger and fries, a cheeseburger with American cheese, BT dubs. <laughs> um, she takes one bite. She says, it's fantastic, but I think my eyes were bigger than my stomach. Can I take it to go? And he's like- Yes. Yeah. You know, she kind of cracked she, his code. Basically. She's found the loophole, 
right. uh, to this, which is the completion of her menu cannot be done in the restaurant. So she mm-hmm. has to she right. has to exit so that she can finish right. the dish. But as he's doing his whole final last diatribe, the guests are like nodding and they start saying, yes, chef. And they're like, and it's not an the acceptance. The light is like, thank you. Yeah. 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 It is not an acceptance of their fate, but rather like they have, you know, to bring it back to Jonestown, they have drunk the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Well, I, and I would say, and the movie is smart enough to show that it's like, it's some of the guests. I don't think it's all of them. Like, you can see some of them are just, they are kind of, like, resigned to their fate. I feel like, but some of the, I feel like the finance bros are sort of like, well. Yeah, I think John Leguizamo is maybe not. No, John, I, oh, I'm, almost, I'm almost sure that there's a, I think he's one of the people who goes, yeah, chef. Like, he's on board. Okay. And, maybe and, it's his, his assistant I, I'm not sure about. Nope, she is too. I think it's the finance bros and the husband. I yeah, think they're okay. the I think they're the ones that we don't actually get. Yeah, because like, I think food critic and editor. Approval. I think food critic and editor are both on board. Judith mm-hmm. Light is both. She's on board. Mm-hmm. I guess I missed that with John Leguizamo, but it's like you get this. You know, it, it keeps it just grounded enough where you still kind of believe it. Because mm-hmm. I think if they had all like drunk the Kool Aid, it would feel a little forced to me. But yeah, like, but what do you what do you make of that? What do you make of those people being like, yeah, great, we're meeting our fate as giant s'mores. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think if I was to say like, okay, is it absolutely 100% believable? I think you could pick it apart. Right. I think you you put it, I, I sort of put it in an allegorical kind of take of like Stockholm Syndrome, you know, hmm. where it's just like the stress of the situation people have kind of like imprinted on their um their captor you know thematically i'm not sure what the filmmakers are trying to say with that yeah. to be honest yeah. i i and i find it intriguing like i don't find it a flaw yeah. but it's like a big open question to me yeah. of like because i think it's a big open question and i think they do it on purpose of like how much the audience is supposed to be on board with what they're mm-hmm. doing because i think there's always something satisfying about watching somebody just be like fuck it i'm gonna stop playing by the rules which fundamentally is what they're doing you know at mm-hmm. this restaurant so almost regardless of whether you agree with it or not there's just we all want to be that person at some point in our lives so it, it leaves a lot of room and i think it's kind of where you came down on it of like yeah you take it as revenge fantasy but i think the movie like also qualifies it consistently of like but really are we supposed to be supporting this and so it ends on a to me a very ambiguous note um Mm -hmm. in terms of how we're supposed to feel about it and i think that's one of the things like it's one of the reasons the movie has stuck with me so much yeah yeah absolutely one of the last things i want to talk about is tyler's fate um (laughs) yeah because that's another thing that is actually very i mean his fate is not ambiguous but what leads up to it is ambiguous mm-hmm. so to give a brief rundown tyler's been being a fucking ghoul the entire movie as mm-hmm. people are like you know like jeremy is that his name the sous chef who Shoots uh, himself. yeah you know that happens and tyler doesn't even flinch um like it's very he, clear that he knew what was coming like the, again I don't know if it's clear that he knows or if he is a fucking sociopath. They they do say, I mean, because it's very clear that like he had been sworn to secrecy ahead of time. Mm -hmm. He, you know, chef makes him say like, yeah, I knew everybody was going to die. I don't know that he knows exactly how the menu is going to play out. But when, but when people start dying, I think he's like, yep, that's what I was told. Okay. Yeah. 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 
And, um, and and he is a sociopath because he's like, you know, whatever, as long as I get to experience this menu. Well, and when uh, Chef calls Margot back into the kitchen to basically be like, I think that's probably another thing that sort of stuck with me, too, is that he's like, are you a giver or a taker? Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to think of somebody who creates something as a giver and the people who consume it as takers, mm-hmm. even though that is at the end of the day, the bottom line is that that is that what, is what they is. are, right. you know, but when they have that conversation and Margo comes back to the table and he's just being such a little bitch. And he's like, did you, you know, did you tell you, did you or do you know what the next plating is going to be? Is it a, is it a protein I can't or a vegetable? You got to, you yeah, got to go just, back there. You, you smoke cigarettes. You can't even taste anything. But, yeah. And yeah. Margo slaps him. And like, he, d- I think that's the stuff that makes me be like, what mm. is happening with this guy? Because mm. He doesn't flinch. He just asks the question again. Well, He's like even, protein or veg. Yeah. When it's finally like revealed to the restaurant that he knew and she literally dives across the table and punches him mm-hmm. again, he doesn't really react. No. So it, it, there's like, um, there's just there is, something missing in him. Like, yeah. There is a lack of humanity there. Like, cool. You want to go and eat this last meal and die? Like that's on you. But it's the the fact that he's sort of all looking at it from this very removed Mm-hmm. Well, and I like still position. I mean, again, they don't ever make it clear, but I sort of feel like he, at least in his head, didn't really believe he was going to be included on the menu. <laughs> right. Which yeah. I think becomes clear when the chef is like, you love this, right? Like, you know, and, you know, and invites him into the kitchen. Like he does this whole thing, presents Tyler with a jacket. Tyler's like, amazing, amazing, amazing. Like, fuck yes, I'm finally getting my fucking due. Like everybody here knows that I well, have the best fucking chef talent. Chef even says like, you're a cook. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he's then, ever wanted to hear. And I think he's like, you're special, right? He says mm-hmm. something like, you're special. Mm-hmm. Um, And then takes him into the kitchen to actually cook. And this is the one time we see Tyler lose it Mm -hmm. is when he is actually forced with creating the thing that he has been kind of like this sudden pressure of like, do it right now, you know? Yeah. And a thing of like understanding that again, consuming something is not Mm -hmm. (laughs) again, from my perspective, I think Tyler is a very perfect representation of consuming something does not make you a fucking expert in it. Mm -hmm. Because when push comes to shove and he gets put into the kitchen, all of his viewings of chef's table, all of his fucking not smoking and his knowing the gadgets and doing all that stuff doesn't help him because he doesn't actually do this thing. Um, So all you Star Wars fans take notes. Yes. If you were the kid, no, what, what, what was it? Was it one of the Indiana Jones movies that those kids spent like eight years doing a shot for oh, shot yeah, remake, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Those kids can talk. Right. Those kids are allowed <laughs> to talk shit. Um, but so Tyler gets called into the kitchen. He chef is like, make a dish. Tyler loses it. And he ends up making Tyler's, Tyler's bullshit. bullshit. Yeah. Which is again, undercooked lamb and edible shallot and leek butter sauce, utter lack of cohesion. Mm-hmm. Chef, takes a bite and he chews it and he says that's that's actually quite bad. Quite bad. And then he whispers something into Tyler's ear right. and we don't hear what it is. There's no indication of what it is other than we see Tyler's face and the reaction that he has to hearing mm. what Chef has told him. And then we how do we find this out? Is it when Margot goes to look for the barrel? 
No, well, yes. So, and then, like, he sent, like, he whispers to Tyler. Tyler kind of takes his, sadly takes his chef jacket off, goes into the back. We we don't see where, where he goes. Mm-hmm. And then chef is like, Margo, come with me. And this is when he's basically like, you are one of us. Like, yeah. you're part of our family now. And she's sort of like, uh, I mean, cool or not. I don't know. You yeah. Know. The- and that's when he's like, go get the barrel because we need it for our last um mm-hmm. our last meal and he blames elsa for like elsa. you know yeah <laughs> and as she and as margo's leaving she looks into the, like the pantry or whatever and sees that uh tyler is hung himself yeah so what do you make of that i i loved it for the character because it, it was just like the ending i wanted for him because he's such a fuck like you said he's a ghoul yeah um, like i i'm actually so glad that he wasn't part of the final dish like mm-hmm. that that actually he, felt like the best comeuppance for that well, he, he almost like he didn't even deserve that you know yeah I actually think it's brilliant that like whatever chef says to him, we don't hear because I think if we had heard what chef said, it would not be as terrible as what we can imagine that chef said to him, Mm -hmm. you know, like even if he had been like, you are an embarrassment to my profession and the best thing you could do is just go hang yourself right now. Right. That kind of takes like the the wind out of the sails of that. But like the fact that we don't know is like we can imagine it is almost like worse than that. Yeah. And it just is interesting to me that out of everything that has happened that night, which includes a, what is it? What's the story about people hunting people? (laughs) Um, The most dangerous game. Yes, you know, which yeah. includes a most dangerous game chase scene. Um, right. You know, like we've we've had a lot of terrible things happen in the movie that Tyler hasn't blinked an eye. But whatever it is that Chef says to him is well, so bad that he has no recourse but to go and end his own life. Well, Nicholas Holt sells it. And I think yeah. we should, like I know you're saying that was the last thing you want. I, I do want to talk a couple of things. We, we ought to wrap it up pretty yeah. soon. But I do want to emphasize that this is a horror comedy and a lot of it's very funny. Yeah. Like, like, so you mentioned like the most dangerous game thing. Yeah. So, you know, basically they give all the men in the, in the group a 45 second head start and then all the 45 waiters. seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Waiters and cooks like chase them down. Mm-hmm. Um, and There's you a see prize like people for getting the last one. Tack- but it was the prize at the end where you see the guy he's hiding in the chicken coop is the editor. Mm-hmm. And then the window next to him opens is like, for the last one, here's a <laughs> egg, blah, 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 and like hands yeah. in this little dish. Like, again, it's like those like absurd little touches are just as disturbing as the movie is. It is very funny. Like, yeah. And just sharply like, whereas like cocaine bear is kind of a blunt instrument and, mm. and is not trying to be anything other than a blunt instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, This movie's like a scalpel, you know? Yeah, very much so. Very yeah. much so. And I didn't, I do, I just really, we don't need to go through all of the performances. We mentioned that we love Judith Light. I know you always love John Leguizamo and I thought he was fantastic in this movie. <laughs> but the I scene, real fast, the scene between him and his assistant when she's like, I've been stealing money from you. And he's like, I know. And he's like, I wrote you a bad recommendation to Sony. And she goes, I know. You see me on it. It's it just so like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but just specifically, I want to talk about Anna Taylor-Joy and Ray Fiennes real quick. Like, mm. I mean, probably don't need to like spend a lot of time on Ray Fiennes other than just to say like, I always, I don't know why it is, but I will forget how goddamn good that guy is. And then I'll see him in something and be like, holy fuck. I've like, I don't think I've ever seen a bad Ray Fiennes performance or a, a performance that's like not almost like transcendently good. You know? Yeah. 
I think that Ray Fiennes, like one of the things I specifically really like in this movie about Ray Fiennes' work is that I know he yells when he's doing, when he does the, there are no substitutions at Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. And me. The only other times he's yelling is when he's like plating in five minutes. Right. But that's Which- like, you know. Right. A general giving commands. Right. And, you know, like, no offense to dudes out there, but male actors tend to be one note in their portrayal of, like, their quote-unquote portrayal of Mm -hmm. anger in that it always devolves into shouting. And I thought that it was fascinating to see how. He is terrifying. Oh, he's terrifying. And that it is so, it's not even, like, calm. It's just, it's like sad yeah like, he I manages feel like there's this to be sad, sad and terrifying at, the same, at the same time which is such a weird line to walk and you're right it's like you know and as much as like i mean i love me some uh ray liotta as mm. we talked about but like ray liotta was like you know he was one of the great shouters you know yes. and he could he could do a conviction like there's lots of great shouting and good fellas you know yeah but there is something about like what right because i just re-watched schindler's list recently mm. And I mean, Ray Fiennes, who was like 30 or something when he made that, again, never yeah. raises his voice. You actually see him enjoying himself in fucked up ways. Yeah. And it's fucking terrifying. Another performance, not Ray Fiennes, like that for me is Daniel Day Lewis's Bill the Butcher. And, uh, yeah, I, I wish Gangs that New York. I wish that more actors understood that sh- like mm-hmm. shouting actually isn't very scary at all. It's just not. Uh, well, that's but- why Pacino, again, one of the great shouters. But if you watch him in The Godfather, he never shouts. Yeah, like, yeah. He's so cold in those movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yes, both. I mean, I'm still a little like this about Anya Taylor-Joy. Well, um, what I was going to say is like. I actually think, to me, I think she's the weakest link in the movie. Really? I, I, I. We can talk more offline, but those are my final thoughts. That's interesting. Just, I mean. She's not the strongest in the movie, but mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't feel like there was a weak link in terms of the acting. I, well, all I was going to say about her is like, because I, I didn't see the Queen's Gambit, but she's just like, I'm warming up to her because I saw her in The Witch and was kind of like, yeah, she's fine. Uh-huh. But I was I was like pretty underwhelmed by that movie overall. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but then like I saw her in uh, Last Night in Soho a couple years whenever that came out. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, there's something she's got something. And then in this movie, it's like this was the first time I felt like it's like, okay, I can really see like you're you're growing as a performer. Yeah. So, and like, again, I mean, I agree, she's not Ray Fines, but Yeah, and I mean, and that's kind of the troubling thing is that like everybody in this movie is like really, really good. And mm-hmm. like gun to the head, I would say Anya Taylor Joy does the weakest work. I mean, in I the movie. Wa- I feel like I want to argue with you, but I cannot think of anyone else <laughs> that I would put. And I, I think that's that the place, thing, right? So. Because like Nicholas Holt is full he's blown fa- psychopath. He's he's great, and I, I think a very love- sweet boy. <laughs> in real life and so to see him as this is just like cheese louise well i always Um, love the guy and i don't know his name but the guy who plays the editor paul Um, adelstein i love him and i wish he worked more yeah he he was on a a netflix show that i'm forgetting the name of that's about con artists interesting yeah i'll have to look it up because i think you would like the show but he plays one of the villains on it and it's again he he's it's the same thing where he's like kind of this easy breezy character never shouts or anything and is absolutely terrifying yeah he's great in this as a sycophantic editor to the food Mm -hmm. critic janet mcteer as lily in the food Mm -hmm. critic she's also fantastic Uh, Uh, elsa is great she's fantastic 
mm-hmm. who else we got? John Leguizamo. Amy Carrero is his assistant. Reed Burney is the husband that I keep referring to. Judith Light, who I just, I have a soft spot for Judith Light. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's very good. She's very good. Man. Yeah, she's very good. And then our finance bros are Rob Yang, who's Bryce. Arturo Castro, who is Soren. Mark St. Cyr, who is Dave. Peter Gross is the sommelier. Christina Brucato is Catherine. She's the sous chef. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the one who's sitting at the table. Adam Alderks is Jeremy. And then there's some other characters, but I don't want to completely spoil everyone. Right. So we're going to leave them out. But all across the board, all performances yeah. were great. Yeah. So go check out Cocaine Bear. It's in theaters. You should... I. You should it's a theater theaters. movie. The, yeah. Like I think the menu is one you can safely watch at home. Absolutely. But if you get a chance to see Cocaine Bear in the theater, it's just the energy of the audience is it's one of those movies that kind of comes yeah. Out for that. Um also, you know, a little bit of like heck yes for Elizabeth Banks yeah. for directing this and for her sophomore attempt, not her sophomore outing as a director and for, uh, you know, being a woman who directed a horror film. Mm-hmm. So go see that. Also, just a shout out for the director of The Menu, who is Mark Mylod. Mylod, who the last movie that he directed was the 2011 What's Your Number starring <laughs> Anna Ferris and yep. Chris Evans, which I love. I love that movie movie it is a mm-hmm. ridiculous silly rom-com he, he has i think directed like for he's, succession and stuff like uh, that he's too. done a lot of a lot of good tv stuff i also while we're talking about the mini i want to shout out the screenwriter seth reese and mm. will tracy who are this is their first uh feature script they are originally writers for the onion and went yeah. on to write for like um what is it the late late show with seth myers and mm. um the john oliver show so. Yeah, which I think is uh, writing for The Onion, I think, was the the perfect springboard for mm-hmm. writing this deeply and, dark satire. And apparently the entire concept came when Will Tracy was on his honeymoon in Norway and went to a very similar restaurant mm-hmm. with his wife and was like kind of freaked out by the experience. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, so go check those movies out. Like we said, Cocaine Bear is in theaters right now. Go and see it in the theater. The menu is currently available on HBO Max. Um, uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We enjoyed making it. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, share, leave a comment. We love hearing from you guys. And as always, stay weird, stay curious. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. So listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing.